we're going to be looking very closely at where the Cardinals go and who they acquire. And a big part of that is having some kind of an idea of what, what makes a postseason star? What, what is it about Corey Seager, who just won his second World Series MVP, what is it about a guy like that that makes him so successful in the postseason? Welcome back, everybody. We are coming at you from Broadway and Clark. This is Mark. Duncan's with me tonight, um, as we always are together. And uh, our little labor of love here, talking about baseball, specifically with the St. Louis Cardinals focus, as everybody knows. And we intend to spend the next four months, three and a half months, uh, we're probably at a hundred and yeah, right around a hundred days ish till pitchers and catchers report. Uh, but that's we'll talk about that as we get there. Uh, we wanted to start out this pod uh, talking a little bit about the end of the World Series. Uh, for those regular listeners, you'll remember that we uh, spoke to you after the series had been tied one one. And we were hoping to come back, um, and I believe that was Monday. It might have been Sunday night. Uh, and then we were hoping to come back on Thursday and talk about, you know, where things stood. Uh, however, that never came to pass because the World Series ended on Thursday night, right? Or was it Wednesday, Wednesday. night? Wednesday night Wednesday was the night. end. That's right. Oh, it was crazy. That's right, because it was Friday, Saturday, off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and uh, one thing I thought about, and I really want to hear your thoughts. I mean, obviously, we want to shout out the Rangers and give them, you know, their due. Uh, talk about a couple of their stars, what the future looks like for them in terms of, you know, is could could are the rangers candidates to repeat for example i don't know but uh uh one of the things i thought about as it was kind of unfolding on uh tuesday and wednesday games 4 and 5 was that since that game 5 letdown versus the astros the big the big kind of Leclerc fell apart, and Altuve with the homer and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. The Rangers proceeded to go six and one over their next seven to lock up their first franchise World Series. And their bullpen was super strong, too, oh, after that. Amazing. Uh, no no problems with – I mean, you know, we could talk about Aroldis if you want, but – you know, at the end of the day, his numbers were serviceable. Yeah, uh, he he's definitely a uh, 
you know, a little bit of a heart attack waiting to happen every time he goes out there. But so what? That's 80% of the relievers in Major League Baseball, I think. And the guy still, I think the last pitch he threw was 101 to get a strikeout. Uh, And he pitched in the last game of the year. Um, So, yeah. Uh, all all kudos to the Rangers. Uh, what are some of your thoughts about them wrapping up their first championship? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, kudos, congrats to them, particularly Monty, Chris Stratton, uh, since getting traded over there. Uh, congrats to both of them for a ring uh, and everything there. Um, I will say definitely did not see it ending in uh, – in five like that um, certainly was expecting a game six honestly would have would not have been surprised at all if it went seven um, I thought the Diamondbacks had just a little bit more in the tank but the Rangers just had that little bit extra gear to just hold them off Eovaldi was incredible in that that final game just how many runners he stranded on on base um I think over the first five innings, I don't even know what the exact number was, but I mean, I, I'd have to guess it was at least like eight, eight runners or something like that over the first five innings, or I don't even know. But um, it was impressive. It just seemed like he kept getting out of it and out of it and out of it. Um, little magician Houdini right there. Um, but yeah, they just had that extra gear to um, when it seemed like the Rangers or when it seemed like the D-backs had a little juice, a little momentum that Rangers just hit right back and um, quite literally hit right back. And Corey Seager turned it or Yeah, Corey Seager. I almost said Kyle Seager. Uh, Corey Seager turned it on at the right time in the World Series. MVP again, two-time MVP, uh, World Series MVP, uh, which he joined. You know, the two players that he joined now is the only two World Series MVPs twice. Oh... Let me think about that. So it's probably, I'm going to guess one of them's one of our guys. So maybe Albert? No. Okay, not Albert. That's right, because that was David Eckstein in 06. And did Freeze? I guess Freeze probably won it in 11. Um, That's just one. Sorry, there's three other players. I would say, let me think. I don't know if Big Poppy won two of them. Uh, are there? Are they both from prior to this century? Uh, yes, all three are before this uh, century. Okay, so then we're going to look at Yankees. I'm going to say that our good friend Yogi Berra won it more than once. No, it was not him. A different Yankee uh, as one of them. You want me to just give them to you? It, it's j- yep. I'm the only one. Only other guess I want to give before you give them is Derek Jeter. That's a great guess. That's a, I would. I think that would be a very solid guess, but not Jeter. Uh, well, different Yankee for one of his World Series MVPs, Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson, which makes sense, oh, Mr. Yeah. October. Mr. October. Uh, Sandy Koufax. Oh, Which sure. is kind of pretty impressive. Uh, yep. And then the one and only Bob Gibson as number oh, three. Duh. <laughs> Did he win it? Did he win? He didn't win it as a loser. He won it in 64 and 60. Uh, what was that? Eight? 
Yeah, I, I doubt – no, 60, 67 we won, 68 we lost, right? Yeah, I believe that's how it went. And then 64 was when we won that crazy race uh, at the end of the year when it was us, the Phillies, I think the Cubs were involved, and I forget who the other team was, maybe the Giants, but all of us fighting f- to get in. And uh, we, I think we won like 11 and 12 down the stretch to – to secure our place to win the pennant, and um, a lot of there's a lot of guys just a little bit older than me who that was their first foray into Cardinal fandom. You know, old enough to kind of realize what was going on. Little boys, eight, ten years old, um, seeing their team. You know, with the great infield we had then, and the, the crucial trade to bring Lou Brock over from the Cubs mm-hmm. during the season. Yeah. So, so it, uh, Reggie and, um, and rapid Robert and Kofax. That's, uh, that's a pretty good three. You, you could do a lot worse starting your club with those three guys. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a pretty illustrious list right there for Corey Seager to be joining. I think yeah. just really shows he's he was always one of those guys that I mean, even though he's won those two MVPs with the Dodgers when he won it the first time in 2020. Um, and then even now on this team, a little bit less so on this team, he was very much the leader of this uh, team. But I think particularly on the Dodgers, he was kind of one of those like under the radar guys because the Dodgers just had so many good players that it wasn't like he was one of two or three like Mookie is on the Dodgers right now that was like obviously that's his team he was just like one of the other guys and he was so obviously three years younger uh at that point too in his career so um but now I think this is just like the cherry on top. And I mean, he's only 29. He's still got plenty of career left. Not to not saying that it's a foregone conclusion. He's going to win another world series, let alone an MVP, but um, pretty, pretty impressive by Mr. Corey Seager. He's just got that postseason extra gear. Um, our pulse goes down a little bit in those situations uh, of pressure. So very impressive by him. Generally, uh, for the season, uh, just thoughts on on the the season ending now, World Series being over, a little bit bittersweet. Um, Glad to see a postseason be done that the Cardinals are not participating in. We'll kind of talk about uh, that, give a little bit more thoughts about that, uh, how different that is than our normal experience with the postseason. Um, So good to see that uh, be done. Uh, and looking forward to now getting the excitement ramped up for next year. You can really start to look forward to next year. It doesn't feel quite so far away now since the current season is over. Uh, but with that, the bitter part of that, uh, baseball's done. We're not going to have another game uh, for another, what, four months, something like that, three and a half months. Yeah. Uh, so going to be a little well, bit of a bummer. That's, that's, that part's a little tough. Um, 
there's probably some winter ball going on somewhere in South America right now, but it's not like we're talking about it. You're right. Teams are well into uh, off-season mode. Um, I saw that Max Muncy got um, extended. Yeah, they they have that five-day window where teams can – you know, can kind of renegotiate or, you know, make offers to their current rostered players um, before, you know, uh, full free agency starts. And, you know, obviously, uh, what, a month or so out from the winter meetings. Um, I uh, saw also as well, or one of the things that I wanted to reflect on with the end of the series, obviously want to want to acknowledge the achievement of Arizona. Uh, They were the second least winning team ever in the history of the world series with 84 wins. The team with the least had 83, and that would be your 2006 St. Louis Cardinals, who, yeah. of course, the whole thing. So, uh, you know, congratulations to them. One of the things that I think was a theme in this year's playoffs and uh, demonstrated very well by both the participants uh, was the emergence of some young stars. So good thing that uh, Corey did win his second World Series MVP because I would argue that if Texas ever gets back to that while he's still a member of the squad, uh, if Evan Carter is also on the team, Corey's going to have a run for his money. That kid was so impressive to me. And that is one of the things that's really great about, uh, you know, the, the playoffs generally and the World Series specifically is that, you know, during the – well, I mean, how would I know who Evan Carter was? He was only up for a month, less than a month. He came up right. in September. Uh, the double he hit – I mean, first of all, I think he hit like seven or eight doubles just in the World Series alone, which is crazy, Right. Maybe that was for the whole playoffs. But anyway, the point is, is he, he's got a beautiful swing. Uh, he loved the big moment. You know, every time they interviewed him, he was like, hey, I'm just out here having fun. This is, this is what it's all about. Yeah, you'd expect a guy that young when he's getting interviewed by Ken Rosenthal to be, you know, flustered or not wanting to do an interview, but as they say, as cool as the other side of the pillow, didn't care at all. No, did not get nervous. Uh, You know, I mean, certainly not the most polished. I I know, I think I even said on this pod that, you know, the, that first interview with him, I think it was, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly certain it was after the Astros series. Uh, he, um, he had a big old wad of gum in his mouth. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, nothing, nothing wrong with chewing gum. I mean, a lot of ball players do it. Better than but, dip. You know, yeah, maybe spit it out uh, before you go to the interview. But you know what? It just kind of showed the realness of him and, and uh, also, you know, highlights his youth. And, again, you got – 
uh, him. You've got on the Diamondbacks are chock full of them uh, between, uh, of course, the presumptive. Or did he already get the rookie of the year? They didn't hand out that award yet, did they? No, they haven't done any season awards yet. Yeah, but it'll. But be I imagine they'll get it. Weeks. That's going to be Corbin Carroll. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mr. Moreno, their catcher, another young player. Uh, unfortunately, a guy who I was really starting to become enamored with, uh, Alec Thomas, uh, that ball that he missed in center field, that that was tough. Shades of Trent Grisham in the wild card game in 2019. Oh, man, just brutal. And you feel uh, for him. You can't, you know, it's just a play that that can't happen. I mean, you could see the look on his face. He knew as soon as it happened that, you know, he had committed a, a pretty cardinal sin there. And, um, and I mean, you know, obviously nothing you can do next play. It's all you can do at that point. But it was a backbreaker. Uh, they did rightly point out that Corbin Carroll was flying. Otherwise, you're looking at a, a pretty easy inside the parker, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. But he was flying, and as soon as that ball went past Thomas, he was on it. I mean, it did make it – I think it either bounced off the wall or he picked it up right before the wall. Um, but it did hold the uh, runner at third. But anyway, that was that was really tough to watch. Felt bad for that. Uh, Zach Gallen working on a no-no, which I was getting really excited about. Yeah. Uh, although apparently those are a thing in the World Series now. Every year we got to have at least <laughs> one. But uh, they, uh, uh, you know, and then they just put three hits together back to back to back. One of those is a Carter double. Uh, and then who singles him in? Uh, oh shoot. Who was it? I forget. And, oh, Simeon, I believe. And then, uh, uh, Seager comes up with the two run shot. I think is how that sequence went, but, uh, it's just, you know, and the next thing, you know, boom, 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 it's three run game. And, you know, you got to get gallon out. Even though, again, it's an unpopular opinion and probably nobody's going to agree. It's like when you have a bunch of toys and you're like, well, I got all these toys, so I got to play with them. No, just play with your favorite toy or play with the toy that you know is going to provide the most enjoyment for the most people. For example, if you're in a, you know, if you got a group of people and so Gallon was still pitching fine and had a low pitch count. They could have brought him back out. And it didn't matter that inning. But, you know, by the time they got to the, was it the eighth or the ninth? Um, you know, it was, was, it was, Spores came out, I think, after that, and he was fine. And then I think it was Ginkle that got dinged up, right? And had the bad luck with uh, Thomas and all that. But, uh, well, and then, of course, Corey Seager once, I think it was Corey Seager, yeah, they to get the first hit off of him, uh, off of Gallon, was the, uh, uh, 
I guess was at the inning before where he shoots it to the th- where the third baseman's supposed to be standing would have been a routine play, but they got a pretty massive shift on for him. Mm-hmm. And I thought Smoltz had a great point there. He's like, Hey, I get it. Your pitcher, that hitter, you know, you, you can, you can count on him hitting it from the shortstop, you know, to the right or to the left, whatever it is. However, if your pitcher's putting everything on the outside part, then the likelihood of the batter going the other way, especially an accomplished hitter like Seager, you 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 know you you hurt yourself. You you made a, a routine grounder into a a single, or did he take second? He might take it second on that ball too. I think he did. No, he did get a double, I believe, of it. So anyway, yeah, versus pitching uh, inside and. Either he rolls over it or he gets jammed. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm talking. I am, uh, uh, you know, I'm displaying my famous lack of, uh, you know, specific memory of events. But, but the general gist of it is, I just want to make the point and the feeling that, you know, it was, it was an unfortunate set of circumstances that befell you know, a guy who's thrown a no-no, but also I believe you were right. I think it was 0 for 8 in with runners in scoring position. That should have been a three or four to nothing game. Nathan Ewaldi yeah. should have been out of that game at least an inning sooner. Oh right? yeah, he went six. He could have been out at in the in the third inning. Right. They exactly. Hung three runs at some point. And I you mean, can't you can't win if you can't score, so Bases loaded, one out or less, one run is a is a minimum requirement. Yeah. And the reason both those teams were in the World Series is because they did not waste those types of opportunities as a rule in the postseason. And so you're right. It just kind of ran out on the Diamondbacks, but they had a great season. They got some great young players coming, um, and it was a lot of fun to watch. I, uh, and, and so, you know, you had made a point on a previous pod, you were talking about teams built, uh, to win in the regular season versus the postseason. Obviously this year, again, uh, a stark example of that with the Orioles, Dodgers and Braves, the three winningest teams in MLB this year uh, failing and the, and the Rays. Uh, let's not forget them. So all four of those teams, which all won, I believe 99 or better each uh, failed to even win a single round in the postseason. And I think combined the four teams won one game in the postseason. So what, what, what is it that you see that kind of tells the story of that or what 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 is happening that teams are in this position this is something i was thinking about throughout the postseason um just from <clears throat> through a cardinals lens um and kind of how a lot of the cardinals discussion happens about 
our team, particularly when we add players, what direction we're going with, the vitriol and ire of John Mosaic every time any move is made, um, basically no matter what it is, uh, outside of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt trades where they were so lopsided <laughs> kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. But it's one of these things I was thinking about kind of through that lens uh, about the ideas of being built for the regular season versus being built for the postseason. And I think it's all all is somewhat wrapped up in uh, and connected to the idea that Mo has talked about multiple times of um like your your idea that you mentioned previously of the you know a chip in a chair let's get in the postseason anything can happen in the postseason so let's just get in and we'll see what happens and hopefully we have a good enough team that we can go on a run basically is kind of the idea and philosophy that the cardinals have had probably over the past two decades i would say is a good estimate that's been the run yeah and it's it's served us well uh, for a majority of that, in terms of uh, outside of what what was it, two thousand seven was our only other um, losing season uh, throughout that those two decades. Um, so it served us well in that regard. But but even of, of a more extreme case of that, I wanted to highlight a couple teams and differences with how teams are built and everything. So. This may um, be a good analogy as well for if there's any crossover between people who like baseball but also like watching soccer as well. I've talked about it a couple times with us watching the Premier League in in England uh, also. Uh, But uh, Man City, Manchester City uh, with Pep Guardiola, Guardiola, uh, definitely a team that's very much built for... The Premier League season, a.k.a. what I would consider like the regular season then for for baseball, um, a team that has such good depth that doesn't matter how many games they have, who they play. They just know how to grind out those results to and at the end of the year, after you've played everybody in the season, you're going to end up being on top in terms of your record points in the table in that in that league but you're going to end up being on top and so my like comp for that for the MLB that I was thinking about was the Dodgers um, a team that is built with such depth in their organization that basically no matter what they're going to end up being a 100 win team and that they've done that over the last you know, six, seven years, something like that. I mean, a little bit longer even. Um, but they've always been that kind of a team. And you mentioned the Rays earlier too. You could probably put them in that kind of category as well, that they're they're built for, especially recently, they're built for being a good regular season team. The Rays are particularly a team that takes advantage of players' attributes and highlights those while not covering up, but covering for parts of their games that aren't as good. And so you you get the idea of more of like a system player uh, versus a good all-around player. Um, and so they use a lot of platoons and those kind of things to be good in the regular season. And that served them very well with their strategy and approach. 
but what does that mean for you when those teams get into the postseason and you have those that strategy that works really well when it's averaged out over 162 games, but you need to make an impact and win games over a three, five, or seven game series. And what does that look like? Um, so my like contrast to that um, would be teams that are built for the postseason. And in my like soccer analogy for Manchester City, doesn't hold as true after this past season where they finally did win the Champions League. But that being a knockout round tournament style competition, they had never won it up until this past season because um, they weren't really built for that style of their game. Um, but teams that are built for that kind of style, uh, as far as like baseball goes, some of the teams that I kind of highlighted was like the Phillies, uh, recently are a team that's kind of highlighted like that, uh, or built like that. Who I was thinking about was the Phillies. That's, that's, I'm glad where I'm, 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 I'm picking up where you're putting (laughs) down. There you go. So Phillies were one. I put the, Astros kind of mentally in my mind and I think some of that goes to their experience that they've had in the postseason too they just know what they're doing in the, in the postseason yeah. um, but that I, I would say those those two teams Braves maybe to a certain extent but maybe a little bit less so uh, but certainly Phillies let's just focus on that so I mean they were a team that they were middle of their division for a decent chunk of the year um, and never were really contending for the top spot to win the division. But you look at what Dave Dombrowski was doing there. He's there to win a championship and it doesn't matter to him if he wins the division or not outside of getting into the postseason, essentially, because at the end of the day, it's about winning a world series. And I think from like that Cardinals perspective, a lot of times it's not discussed with that end goal in mind of we're trying to win a world series. There's a lot of discussion about, well, but we all, we're only going to win 88 games or we're only going to win 84 games or we want to have that, that kind of all around style a game and we want to be the Dodgers and just win 105 games. And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter if you get to the postseason and you can't do anything. Because essentially the Phillies have built their team in that maybe they win a few less games in the regular season, but when it comes time in the postseason, they have their stars that are going to show up and pull those that team to a win. And you need your role players. Like don't get don't get it twisted. You still need your role players uh, on those teams, like your Brandon Marshes and Bryson Stotts. Like those are not your stars, but you also have Bryce Harper, Trey Turner. Kyle Schwarber, I'd put in there as far as his postseason performances. And then your pitchers, Wheeler, Nola, that kind of a thing. Those are the guys that are going to win you the series. Yeah, They may be hurt for three and a half months of the season, but this part of the Phillies strategy is, okay, that doesn't really matter as long as they're healthy when it comes time for those games that really do matter in the postseason. Versus the Dodgers are a little bit less so with that, where they have a team that's super deep, uh, but doesn't really show up in the postseason when it counts. Um, yeah. 
outside of 2020. They did win in 2020, so give them their credit for that, but still. So that's just kind of my general take on that, and I think from a Cardinals perspective, I think it'll do us or it'll serve us well as an organization and as fans when we discuss things and have opinions on things um, and voice our opinion on things. I think it'll be helpful for us to have that end goal in mind of it's about winning a world series. So yeah, maybe you're not going to get a guy who is good at literally everything and that's okay. But if he is like serves the team well and can show up in the big games when it matters. That's all that matters at the end of the day. So just kind of a thought that I was having. What do, what do you, what do you have? Is that, I feel like I've been rambling on about that. So I want to get some of your take on that and kind of bounce off each other with that. No, I, I, like I said, I, I, uh, I immediately thought of the Phillies and I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering, and this is something that we're going to have to address, uh, obviously our front office is going to have to address, is what are the qualities? And this is, you know, probably the hardest thing to do in sports. And I don't care what sport it is. Uh you know, there's guys like, uh, you know, some of the legends of the games, like uh, Dick Vitale, for example. You know, he's always got his all airport team, uh, you know. And yeah, so, great we, example. Uh, yeah, we kind of instinctually, I think, understand that there's differences among guys. And I don't especially in baseball where we're not lacking for data, right? I mean, the sport has been revolutionized along with the rest of the world um, over the last 40 or 50 years with the growth of uh, the computer, right? I mean, it's, it's the computer age. It's the computer century, right? Now we're talking about one of the sports that can really be so easily quantified versus other sports. As a matter of fact, we enjoy arguing about what number matters almost as much as watching the game sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so, I mean, sometimes you, uh, some of the real stat heads, the real geeks get criticized because it's like, have you ever actually tuned in and watch this guy, you know, who isn't maybe that fast, but by the second inning feels like every night his uniform's filthy because he's, you know, he's on the ground half the time. He's, he's fighting for everything. And those, well, first of all, they're a little less quantifiable, those qualities. Um, but, but I think we need to try and uh, like when you talk about a, a Man City, you know, you said, well, they had never won the Champions League before last season. Well, who joined Man City last season <laughs> yeah. who had never been with them before? Great you know, point. yeah, you're talking about you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, a game changing 
uh, you know, I don't know if he's all world, but he sure fills it up like he is. And uh, obviously, we're talking about a gentleman by the name of Erling Holland. Uh, I was going to say, we put that on the record <laughs> so we say who yeah, it is. <laughs> just in case anybody who's not a soccer fan, if you're not, I, yeah. I invite you to, if nothing else, go to YouTube and look at his highlights because they're yeah. pretty impressive. So I want to I want to explore the topic uh, over the off season, and I want to say, you know, like if you think about the Dodgers, obviously Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts are arguably, you know, two of the top three uh, or five, you know, in their in their respective roles in baseball, right? Uh, I mean, you know, we don't have to go through all the other contenders, but they're definitely right there. Uh, and, but unfortunately, the rest of the team really, they don't really have other stars. Uh, they got snake bit with pitching injuries. Everybody can go through that. That happens. Uh, they, you know, they certainly had no problem spending money to try to, to try to remedy that or at least address it. Um, but what is it that makes a player, you know, built or a team built for the postseason? And that's, that's really what, I mean, I, and I don't know the answer. I don't have an answer today, but maybe if we look, you know, maybe we let history inform us a little bit. Maybe we, you know, I mean, I think that's maybe our best, you know, there's obviously some thoughts. We're not the first people to talk about this. Uh, there's some experts out there that have thoughts and, and maybe we'll source a little bit of that. But um, I, I definitely agree. You know, again, I can't, and it's fresh. So when it's fresh, you know, it, and maybe this happens like it did to Evan Longoria where, you make the World Series in your rookie season, and then you don't, you know, you're you're very fortunate to be able to do it again. Probably, you know, even though you were hopeful, you probably didn't expect it uh, in your age 38 season. Is that what he is? Or 37, whatever. Uh, uh, you know, to get back there a second time. Unfortunately, uh, leaving again with that bittersweet feeling of having been there, but not having been able to, you know, drink from the cup, so to speak. So uh, I, I'm very interested in that. When I think of a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, I believe Paul Goldschmidt is built for the postseason. Uh, Nato, I don't know. He's he's got a lot more variance in his game. We we discuss that at length. Uh, one episode uh, in September. So Go back and listen if you haven't. Great points by Mark in that episode. Really, really good uh, comparisons there. Actually, had some facts, not just a faulty memory there. So <laughs> it was, it was, it was a bit unusual, but uh, enjoyed by myself and Duncan certainly at the night. Uh, but yeah, so I want to, I want to definitely investigate that. And it really is important for us because our expectation is, is that the DeWitts are smart enough businessmen 
to know that, you know, they've been getting kind of a bargain for a few years now. They were uh, paying a guy, you know, I don't know what Wayno was making. I think it was just under $20 million for mm-hmm. most of the last five or six years. Uh, they do have two superstars, but on very reasonable contracts. And, uh, you know, Wayno's gone now. So we, even the little bit of money we were paying him, you know, is back to the team. Uh, we've got another starter who, you know, I'd be very comfortable uh, being part of the rotation and a Miles Nicholas who doesn't make a lot of money. So they're going to have some money. And I believe they intend to spend some money. So obviously that's going to start playing itself out, you know, probably pretty quickly, uh, hopefully. And uh, I'll be interested to see what they, I mean, obviously we're all going to be waiting to see what they do, but I'll be interested, especially in your thoughts on, you know, uh, some guys you might think they should target. Pitching is the hardest thing to judge, evaluate, be consistent at. Uh, There's only so, you know, there's a reason that Clayton Kershaw is still considered a superstar uh, when really his numbers don't necessarily support that um, because, you know, the guy has done it for so long, um, come back from so many injuries, you know, in his career. And uh, I have never been a big fan. Uh, Well, I mean, I've I've always been very respectful of him, but, you know, he's the hated enemy. Uh, And we've gotten him uh, more than once to our great delight. Uh, But, um, you know, who do we get? Who do we go get? That's going to be a lot of the topic of our conversation And you couldn't have said it better when you said the goal of every team is to win the World Series. Now, like you and I have discussed before, you got to get there. The teams that don't make the playoffs are ineligible to win the World Series. I think most of our listeners already knew that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, sometimes we all forget. And so you got to get in. So. We, you know, our base wasn't good enough. Now, what did we win last year? Was it was it ninety? It was close. If it wasn't, um, and you know, we've won with a lot of this team, uh, you know, fairly regularly and been to the playoffs. You know, we had that stretch uh, the last few years of Matheny where we didn't get in. I think it might have been a total of four years. We didn't make the playoffs or three uh, in the teens. But then we've been back pretty much consistently. Uh, you know, obviously the whole world, you know, you always have to throw out the, the caveat of having lived through a, you know, basically two and a half year pandemic period which affected everything sports uh, greatly. But yeah, uh, say since 2019, we've had at least 90 wins outside of the COVID season, of course. So, Yes. And without getting into the specifics, we, um, we, we know that we probably have, you know, six guys that you'd be very comfortable taking into any playoff series. Uh, 
you know, against anybody. So, but it's not those guys that we're talking about. It's the guys we don't currently have and need. And uh, that's what we're going to spend a bunch of time, you know, over the next eight, 10 weeks as we, uh, you know, enjoy the holiday season and, you know, all the things that come with that. We've got a family member getting ready to get married. We've just got a lot of stuff going on, as most, you know, most American families do this time of year. Uh, But we're going to be looking very closely at where the Cardinals go and who they acquire. And a big part of that is having some kind of an idea of what, what makes a postseason star? What, what is it about Corey Seager, who just won his second World Series MVP? Um, and who, you know, everybody knew he was a great player. It wasn't like this was a secret that we just found out about. However, we, um, he doesn't, he, he, you know, you, you made a comment that he flies under the radar a little bit, or maybe he did when he was, you know, in 2020. I mean, it was pandemic, a lot of other factors. Uh, but what is it about a guy like that that makes him so successful in the postseason? And, uh, and you know, and also allows him not to really kind of get the general love with the uh, with the general fandom. I mean, again, I don't think I think any serious fan knows how good he is or knows he's a very good player. They knew when the Rangers got him, they had won a a bidding war or a you know a sweepstakes or whatever for uh, a foundation piece. You know, I think most people knew that about Goldie when we got him, and you know, Nato as well. So. Uh, but anyway, I'll be very interested to go forward. Any any further thoughts from you on on that subject? Yeah, no, your kind of rhetorical question of, you know, what what is it about Corey Seager that makes him so good in the postseason? I think when you look at a lot of guys in multiple different sports who just have that so called clutch gene. Um, that is so hard to quantify, like we kind of talked about. Um, like there are a couple common threads here and there that you can see, and then one of the things that I think of is, um, uh, just guys that have this like ultra competitiveness about their uh personality. So, also with Corey Seeker, he seems like he's a pretty understated guy. Also, I think that's why he's like kind of flies more under the radar. Seems like he's a, a baseball rat kind of a guy, just loves the game. Um, so he focuses so much on that versus wanting to be in the limelight, that sort of a thing, uh, wanting the attention on him. So I think that's that plays a big role there. But, uh, but yeah, when you look at guys who just have that clutch gene, it's just something about them being able to have that hyper focus and that competitiveness all wrapped into one. Um, and you think of some examples and this reaching into other sports, but like you think about Michael Jordan and you think about Kobe Bryant and, uh, and basketball and, uh, both of those guys. I mean, you think about the stories from Michael Jordan talking about, um, how he would make up stories in his mind of things that reporters would, 
like making up stories of what they said about him or what somebody else said about him to motivate him further. Um, or you think about like things that would supposedly be just like a casual game of whatever, something that's completely insignificant, but those guys want to win so bad at literally everything that it like hurts them to not win. They're just so competitive in that way. Um, and so I think that as almost like a personality trait, uh, speaks to just like having that clutch gene and yeah, I don't know how you quantify it. I mean, I think all of that's just gotta be through just being able to talk to people and being able to see that in them. Cause there's a lot of guys too, that like, they definitely love the game of baseball. Um, but maybe they don't have that extra level of competitiveness. Cause like all of these guys are cream of the crop. Like, Every single one of these players that would be on this World Series roster for the Rangers, for example, um, all of them would be ultra competitive people when you compare them to the general population or in their Little League squad or even in college or those kind of things. But this is like the best of the best and like what is going to differentiate you from another, you know, top hundred players in your draft class or something like that. Um, That's a great point. So I, I think it's just one of those, those fine margins, extra competitiveness, hyper focus. Altuve talked about it. I think in an interview after his ninth inning home run uh, against the Rangers and talking about, you know, just his, hyper focus that he had in that at bat knowing that he was going to have a big at at bat um, and just being able to just like dial in the focus just a little bit more I guess more so than he would have during the regular season or in uh, in a bat in the third inning or something like that so just being able to do that um, is something special too so uh, yeah there's a couple of things I was thinking about uh, real quick anecdote I always love. Tom Brady apparently knew the name and the round and the the place in the round, the, the position of every quarterback taken in the draft the year that he was taken in the fifth round, was it? Or, yeah, I think it was fifth. I think. Yeah. I mean, just insane. And – those guys and, that keep you know, receipts. <laughs> that's right. That's what they say. That's what the kids say. Uh, and the, you know, and the, that's like, you know, some people, not everybody loves sports. I, I, I'm, I'm fine admitting that. I, I think they're, I think that's wrong, but I get that not everybody loves sports, especially professional sports, but I would argue that that kind, and you know, and part of the reason is they'll say, well, these guys are just too, it's too much, you know, that kind of competitiveness, that kind of, you know, win at all costs attitude. That's just not healthy way to live your life. Okay. Maybe, maybe that is true. That might be true. Yeah. Might be very true. I mean, I don't know if Michael Jordan's the happiest man on earth. He's he's incredibly successful. I mean, he's otherworldly successful and continues to be 
it's funny. The, the, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's unique by its exception or it's, you know, it's, it's, it's notable by the fact that it's so weird that he uh, was very, has been very, was very, he actually sold the team this year, very unsuccessful as a, as an owner. Um, I mean, I think he, I think the franchise was run well enough or, you know, sufficiently uh, just in terms of the general business practices of the Charlotte uh, basketball team that he's, he was the owner of for, Oh, probably a good 15 years, I guess it was, maybe a little longer. Um, but they never won a thing. And uh, there's a lot of speculation as to some of the reasons why. One of those being the fact that, you know, he was always trying to draft himself. You know, he was trying to draft the next guy that was going to be the kind of maniacal competitor that he was and really, I mean, you know, he, he's a one-on-one, as they say. And so, you know, that was never going to happen, and they just kept falling short. And, um, and so, so, yeah, that, that you made some really great points about that hyper-competitiveness and that kind of refuse to lose. Uh, Altuve, every time I would watch him come to the plate, I'm like, that guy is five foot nothing and the bats as tall as him. And there's nowhere you can throw him a pitch that he can't hit the ball. It's in, it's, it just blows my mind where, you know, other guys will go up there and it's like, if this guy gets a hit, it will shock the world. When Altuve comes to the place, when he doesn't get a hit, everybody's shocked. It's, it's it's kind of hard to to wrap your your mind around, and uh, you know, and again, uh, prisoner of the moment, you know, blah blah blah, all the things that people say, and and in fact, they're they're actually pretty accurate. Uh, but I think that uh, I think that as we go forward in this off season. And we start to look and evaluate moves the Cardinals make. I hope we're going to feel, you know, pretty good that about the fact that, you know, they're really getting a couple of real competitors that, you know, that want to help take us. I believe Wilson Contreras is that kind of player. I do too. Uh, I, do too. I, I, that's, that's what really won me over. But he's, you know, we, I think I said this, as recently as last episode, he's not Yachty, never going to be. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm human like everybody else. It took me a couple months to kind of reconcile with that and just say, I'm not, we're not going to have the best defensive catcher in the game on our team for the next, you know, 15 years or, you know, like we had with Yachty. Um, But, I don't doubt that Contreras wants to win as much as Yachty did. I don't know if he'll ever be have the enjoy the kind of success, uh, but he's got an ingredient that I think is important in the modern game, and that's a catcher that that you know provides consistent, solid offense. Um, you know, he's a little streaky. So is Arnado. Uh, Goldie's probably the least streaky of the three, you know, of our top three, because Contreras is definitely, 
you know, at least until, uh, you know, Jordan Walker really comes into his own. Um, I think it's fair to say that Contreras is by far our, our third best player and, um, you know, offensive player. And so we need more of those guys. We need, you know, a handful more. And, and, you know, the, another unique thing about baseball that we love is that it's, there's, there's two things going on at the same time. Uh, you're trying to find guys that can hit a baseball, which is one of the hardest things to do in, in sports. Uh, and you're trying to find guys who can throw a baseball. So the guys trying to hit it can't, and those are completely separate, different things. And, I think we saw this in the postseason with Mike Maddox and uh, Brent or Brent or Brett Strom, the pitching coach for the Diamondbacks. A pitching coach is an important position, and even more, you know. So, I mean, we had a de facto on-field pitching coach for you know whatever it was, eighteen, twenty years, in Yachty, uh, eighteen years. So, so. We don't have that anymore, and uh, that's yes, another role yes. that Wilson's not going to naturally fill. It's just, I mean, Yadi, you know, don't get me started on how special of a player. The, every day that he's, you know, that, that takes him further away from his days on the field, I'm more convinced that he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The numbers are not going to be kind, right? Uh but the I numbers mean, only tell part of the story, like you oh, mentioned his, with yeah, in his case, guys. They, in his case, they tell such a small part of the story. You know, and you know, I, I've declared it on this pod more than one. One of the reasons I was excited um, when you invited me to uh, get into this with you, which it's been a joy uh, to this point, is that you know my favorite player, which I've mentioned on this pod before. Uh, of all time is Willie McGee. Was Willie the best Cardinal ever? Not even close. Was he in the top eight or 10? Probably. You know, he'd probably in that range. Uh, depending on your tastes, you know, maybe he's not quite top 10, but he's he's close. Uh, for me, he's number one. And you say, well, Mark, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Don't you? Why wouldn't Albert or Gibby or Stand the man, you know, of course, be be your favorite Cardinal. Well, one, I watched Willie play. Two, I just liked him. I liked the look of him. I liked the way he conducted himself. I'll never forget there was a game in the 80s uh, when after the game we were kind of out by the Cardinals parking lot and out came Ozzy, Vince, and Willie and Willie couldn't have been nicer. He was with his family. And, you know, we were respectful, but we were knuckleheads, 20-something knuckleheads that, you know, probably had a few of uh, August Bush's finest products at the game. And, you know, he could have blown us off. He could have said, look at these idiots, you know. But he was. He was nice. You know, he didn't, he didn't dally. He was moving. You know, he was trying to get out of there. But uh, he was friendly. And uh, yesterday, November 2nd, was uh, Willie's 65th birthday, which blew my mind. First of all, 
only somebody who is as versed in everything that's going on with the Cardinals and just baseball in general like yourself would be completely on top of that fact. So you you let me know about it. And after you did, I went ahead and, you know, used the Google machine and found out a couple of facts, like the fact that it was Willie's 65th birthday. I knew he was from the San Francisco area. I've known that for, you know, most, you know, since he was a player, uh, which I always found kind of interesting. He played, you know, when we traded him in 90, we traded him to the Athletics. That's when he uh, won the batting championship that year with the best overall average, or no, the best average in the National League because when he left, uh, he was leading and, you know, nobody ever caught him. I think, and, he, and he qualified with enough at-bats in the NL. Uh, we traded him, you know, toward the end of the, uh, the deadline. Uh, but, yeah, so 65 years old. I mean, one of the things he was known for, he's a really fast uh, runner, stole a lot of bases in his career. And uh, he was a center fielder, very good center fielder. Uh, who was fleet of foot, could cover a lot of ground. And so to think that that guy is 65 years old, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, a great dude just entered the Medicare roles, and I'm very happy for him. Uh, He's been a coach for the Cardinals for the last number of years. And I could, you know, one of my dreams, and I've never done this, and, you know, who knows, maybe in the not-too-distant future I'll have the opportunity. But I've never gone down to spring training, always because I felt like it would be a rushed experience. And I feel like if you're going to go to spring training, it's got to be for a minimum of a solid week. And, you know, because it needs to be lazy like spring is. You know, there's an urgency, there's a reason, there's work to be done for the ball players, But for the fans... You know, you're coming out of the Midwest, uh, you know, middle to end of February, early March. Uh, you're going to get some rough days, you know, a lot of wind, uh, rain or snow. And to be able to go down to Florida, you know, maybe get a couple days in the 80s, uh, you know, hopefully not get too sunburned too badly. But I'd love to do that, and one of the things I would love to do is just watch Willie and see him interact. You know, I can imagine him with a young Jordan Walker. Uh, oh, I can. Yeah. Im- I bet. I bet Newt Bar just worships the ground that he walks on. Because why wouldn't? <laughs> the, or at least that's the way I see it in my head. And no, I totally agree. Yeah, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to let the pod go by without you know wishing uh, Willie a belated happy birthday. I hope he had a great day yesterday with his family, and um, you know I wish him all the best. I I hope he continues to work with the Cardinals and their young outfielders and base runners uh, for a long time to come. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's instructive to know that. You know, all three, the last three managers, which are pretty different people, uh, you know, have all valued his counsel and, you know, what he what he could bring to the organization. And, you know, I think the DeWitt's lot. I just think everybody I don't know that the man has an enemy and uh, I'd be shocked if he did, actually. And so, uh, yeah. So happy birthday, Willie McGee. 
And uh, I look forward to discussing with you as we move forward, you know, where do we get our next Willie McGee from? Because that's the other thing Willie did. He was brought up in the 82 season and he robbed the famous robbing of Gorman Thomas uh, in game three, where he also, I believe, hit two home runs uh, to basically win that game for us in the 82 World Series. Uh, he was on two other World Series teams, and it was not his fault that we didn't win either of those. Uh, although the whole team hit nothing, you know, hit hit like point oh something. You know, it was a, it was horrible. Eighty five against the Royals, uh, which you're welcome, Kansas City. We're so good to our little brothers from Kansas <laughs> City. Uh, I, sometimes I just don't think they appreciate it enough. But uh, yeah. Uh, he, uh, we need a couple more guys like that. The other thing, Willie didn't care about the spotlight, didn't care anything about that. When he was a young player, had he lived with Ozzy Smith and his family when he first came up. Uh, you know, back then, players didn't make the kind of money they make now, but I'm sure Willie could have afforded, you know, to rent an apartment somewhere in St. Louis County. But uh, he he wound up living with the Smiths for, I think, most of that 82 season. Uh, just a great guy. And the, the kind of guy that makes you love the game uh, and a winner. And so that's what, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to finding out who's the next guy. Because I was thinking about that. I'm like, how come we didn't get Seager? You know, were we in on him? He seems like he'd be a perfect Cardinal to me. Um, and I think you and I actually talked about this a little bit earlier in the postseason. But, um, you know, who's going to be the next guy? Who's going to be the guy that we're all going to be talking about every night of the season? How did he do? You know, Could it be Jordan Walker? <laughs> well, I mean, in my mind, it's it's definitely Jordan Walker. I mean, he's he's our next superstar in the making. Now, I guess it's possible it doesn't work out. I mean, it's always possible. And I know we got a couple of, uh, you know, high draft picks or, or, you know, high round draft picks. We don't always draft way high in the rounds. But, you know, we got a couple of guys, a couple first rounders. We got a couple of guys we like. Mason Wynn, we uh, were very excited about. And, I'm, you know, I'm hoping we, you know, they pencil him in uh, regularly uh, for the next season. We know the focus is going to be on pitching, Duncan. I need two top of the rotation starters. Can you get those for me? Where? Who are they? When are they going to be here? Oh, got some got some info coming. I know there was just a release uh, of an article, and we'll get into this maybe next episode uh, with some contract pro- projections uh, on what I think it was from the Athletic. Uh, putting out what they think each free agent is going to make as far as their contract goes. So we can get into that, maybe do a little um, faux GMing uh, on the pod and everything, see if we can put something together. I do think it'll be, uh, it may have to come down to a combination of uh, free agency and a trade as well to get three pieces as far as pitching goes. I think they may need to do that, especially if we're going to, you know, DeWitt doesn't like to open up the the wallet uh, too wide. 
So yeah. we might have to go that route as well. So we'll get into into the weeds on that on maybe next episode. Yeah. I know Mosaic has been saying, you know, I mean, he always says the right thing. He's an accomplished professional. He knows what he's doing. Uh, I, I did want to also shout out there's a, a, a Twitter account I follow, uh, one of the many Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals have a robust Twitter, Twitter presence. And uh, there's a guy uh, who calls himself, I assume it's a guy, call, calls himself front office failure. <laughs> had a little montage of uh, of uh, Mosaic over the years in just a variety of situations, you know, with 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 our stars, you know, our stars and some of our you know managers, coaches, and just just him and his. He's had a lot of looks. I mean, he's been with us, so you know, the guy's grown up with us. And um, grown, I, I, I wouldn't say he's old, but he's he's not the spry young chicken he was when he when he first got the job. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I uh, I'm so looking forward to that. And I, but he's been saying the right things in terms of you know pitching, 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 and you know we know we have you know we know we failed. We we thought we had a good plan. Obviously it. You know, it failed miserably. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to allow ourselves to be in that position again. We're going to address these needs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, talks a little bit cheap, but it's the first step sometimes. So I'm looking very much looking forward to it. Uh, any thoughts on any uh, any of the postseason awards? Is there any that are that are in question in your mind? Do you think they're they're pretty well? Is it pretty well understood? I saw that uh, uh, who was it that I saw won the uh, the Clemente Award? It was um, Aaron Judge. Yeah, Aaron Judge. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, he's yeah. a he's a deep well that I'd like to dive a little bit into during the postseason. What? Yeah, there's a part of me that says you know. Uh, how good is he? I remember when I thought that I, I, I thought I was convinced that Stanton was the better player. I think that's settled science at this point that it was, yeah. that wasn't close. Uh, but how good is Aaron judge? I mean, he's got some eye popping numbers uh, for his age and, but congratulations to him on winning that, uh, on winning that award. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I saw something that a lot of the work that he does, uh, which I think helped earn him that award, uh, is done kind of behind the scenes, out of the limelight and stuff. Which honestly, there's a part of it that like, yeah, you're still doing the same work and everything, whether people see it or not. But there's a part of it that's like a little bit, maybe a little bit more admirable or something like that because of that, and just makes me appreciate him a little bit more. Yeah, um, and just being a good guy, and so you're like, oh, I like this guy. I like this guy. Yeah, and that's uh, that's that's to be celebrated. That's one of the things that makes our sport so awesome. Uh, what about American League Rookie of the Year? Is there a, a clear winner there? There's probably a little bit of debate. Yeah, what? Josh Young, Gunnar Henderson. Oh yeah, I mean, it should be. 
I think Henderson's the leader in the clubhouse, isn't he? Yeah, I, it's definitely going to be Corbin Carroll on the NL side. Uh, I would say probably Gunnar Henderson. Um, if I had to guess, I mean, uh, take your pick of almost any of the the Orioles youngsters because they've got a ton. Uh, one interesting name, and I always find this uh, interesting, just to put it in the same category, I think it, you have to. I think that there's no other way to do it. But Masataki Yoshida uh, is on that list as well, uh, which I find interesting because he's, he's a rookie to the MLB. Um but it's not like he's 22 years old. He's 30 and right. has been playing professionally in Japan for however many years before that. So it's just kind of interesting to see that uh, name on a list too. those. Ichiro did the same kind of a thing when he came over uh, to MLB. Uh, but like that, that would, those are such cool awards to, to be like, yeah, you, you know, played in Japan, you played in a different league, whether it's Japan or any other league. And then you come over and you succeed just as much in a superior league, uh, almost like when you're a youngster and you're, um, say you're from a smaller town or something like that, and you have to play with like your older brother's team or something like that, and you're playing against guys that are two years older, and you still beat them, that kind of a thing. Right. Uh, just right. kind of cool. Yeah, that's well, and he he uh, he did very well. He's uh, yeah, he's solid. Um, yeah, uh, that's, that's a great point too, because, uh, the game is international. I mean, always has been a, you know, the, the, you could argue this is the century of the Latin player, although we've had great Latin players for, you know, a hundred years or close to that. Some of my favorite players growing up uh, were of Latin descent. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Roberto Clemente, who the na- awards named after him because he was on a mission of mercy uh, when his plane went down. I believe it was on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. No, I think it was the 31st. Uh, yeah, had just had finished the prior season. I think it was the 71 season had finished the season with his last hit being his 3,000, which was a kind of a, I mean, I think it's still a huge accomplishment and a huge deal in MLB, but, you know, it's it's, uh, maybe not quite, doesn't have quite the stats because it happened so infrequently. It still does. Um, But offensive numbers have become kind of gaudy, uh, you know, this century. And so, uh, you know, it's maybe not quite as big an accomplishment, but it was a huge accomplishment. I mean, the 60s, you know, if a guy got 200 hits, it was Katie Barter door. And it wasn't because of rest protocols or anything like that. It was because the pitchers were so good. They had to change the, the configuration of the mound uh, because of it during that time. But, uh yeah. That's uh, that'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, probably Henderson. I can't see any other way. And uh, and then we know Shohei is going to win uh, the MVP. I don't. I don't. You know, it was unfortunate he got hurt late. It was really unfortunate that his team. I mean, that's that's going to 
I guess that's arguably the biggest seat story of the off season is where he winds up going and what kind of deal he signs. Uh, but you know, the thing is the, the other teams, you know, all, all, all team, all 29 other teams are going to have to, uh, you know, restock, replenish, uh, offer contracts to their, you know, pending free agents, um, or if they let guys walk, figure out how they're going to fill rosters. And, uh, you know, the team we care the most about has got some splaining to do, as they say. So we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, you know, I don't know how to feel. I don't know if I want you know, reports to come out in the next 10 days that we're in on this guy or we're making offers to this guy or, you know, Derek Gould's got a report on such and such player. I don't know if I want that to where I get teased or if I just want to look down at my phone to see an ESPN or an MLB alert that says Cardinals sign or Cardinals trade for. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I've been, I've gone back and forth in my head about that. The last couple off seasons I've been, I've been wrapped up a little bit in the hype train in the last couple off seasons, trying to pay close attention uh, in trade deadlines too, um, outside of this most recent one, um, when there was the Juan Soto sweepstakes, um, and then uh, who was it before then? Uh, of course, when we eventually did trade for Nolan Arenado, just watching constantly for something, any kind of rumor. And you get your hopes up and then just it's absolutely dashed at the last second. And half the stuff probably isn't real. Half of it's speculation. There's stuff out right now, uh, multiple different articles about rumors between the Dodgers and the Cardinals as far as trading Nolan Arenado, which I think is highly, highly improbable. And all of the reporting is literally just speculation that like, it would make sense if the Dodgers were interested. And it's like, great. Thank you for that really thoughtful report that told me absolutely nothing. Yeah. How many, how how many words did you owe your editor today? Okay. Seriously. But it's like those kind of things that it's like if you talk enough about it, maybe it'll like speak it into existence Um, or it just like makes the team themselves like refute it or something like that. And it's just I think there's a, a component of it that's like and I don't I don't pretend to know enough about this to make like a true educated comment on it but it's almost it feels like irresponsible journalism maybe it's really not uh but it seems somewhat misleading uh at the very least uh with the that kind of reporting because it's like there's really nothing there the teams probably haven't even talked at all about it nolan arenado has a full no trade clause there's been no indication that he would waive that he's said repeatedly that he wants to finish his career in St. Louis and be with St. Louis. He loves living, living here, playing here. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know where it comes from, 
outside of just like a reporter who is in LA who would love to see Nolan Arenado play for the Dodgers. And I'm using that as an example. It's not the only instance that this kind of thing happens, but it's just what I've seen lately, which makes zero sense in my brain. Yeah. Welcome to being a fan of a team that, you know, has a down year and, you know, they, people think they can be cherry picked. That's, I mean, we, you know, give us a little credit for having some pride, please. You know, I mean, we are, <laughs> we are the, we, we still, we still possess the most championships in the national league in history and number two all time uh, to only the hated and powerful Yankees hated because they're so damn good. And they have been for, you know, a hundred plus years, but right. uh yeah, we're we're gonna be. I mean, I I feel I have a lot of optimism about next season. We, like I said, I I do too. I, I feel like we've got you know six or seven quality everyday major league starter, you know, starting uh, position players that can you know together can go on a run that will take us right back to the top of the national league and, uh, you know, vying for the world series. Uh, we know where our problems lie this, you know, lie now and, and did lie this year or lay, I guess. Uh, and, uh, that's going to be the, you know, that's going to be job one and there's nowhere to hide. Uh, Mo is not going to hoodwink anybody. He's he's going to have to, and Mr. DeWitt, they're going to have to uh, spend some money. Uh, but you know, and and they're they're not. They're, we don't need to make threats. We don't we don't need to uh, you know to wring our hands or you know have a fit. Uh, you know, and say, oh, well, maybe the fans won't show. No, that's not true. The fans want to go. We love the Cardinals. We love going to the ballpark. Uh, and I don't expect that's really going to change very much at all. Uh, but also, you know, there's a responsibility for ownership and management to, uh, to give us the kind of product that we deserve. And, uh, you know, we, we will continue to demand that, uh, we, you and I will with this forum and, uh, you know, fans generally will do that. That doesn't mean we're going to quit you. We're never going to, we can't quit you even if we wanted to, uh, who was, what was I listening to? Or I was, somebody was talking about being a fan like, you know, you move to a city and you become a fan of that team. I cannot, I mean, I can certainly appreciate it. I mean, like we just got done going through it. We had a good time, uh, you know, kind of rooting for different teams. By the time we got to the World Series, I was really enamored of this Diamondbacks squad. Uh, I was hoping that they would be able to uh, win the World Series but it was a no lose because you got a team going for their first, you know, first ever in franchise history. And so it, it was a, it was a lot of fun. If it would have been, I don't know, somebody like Braves Astros or, or Dodgers Astros or, you know, Ray, you know, whoever, you know, uh, 
the teams I wanted to see make it were Baltimore, you know, Atlanta, just because I wanted some validation for the, for just the dominance they showed, you know, it's always kind of fun to see a season where a team just completely dominates. I think at Oh four Cardinals, you know, teams like that, we're not going to discuss the world series that year, but you know right. what I'm saying? Uh, uh, so, you know, I, but I could never imagine like moving somewhere and becoming a fan of the new team against uh, against a team I grew up loving, right? But I could never imagine, say, moving to the you know New York area and becoming a Yankees fan or a Mets fan, God forbid. Oh uh, no! But you know that happens. People do that. I I kind of have been that way with pro basketball for um, you know a lot of my life. But then about oh I don't know. I guess it was twenty five years ago. Now uh, this this kid from the Virgin Islands by way of uh, uh, Wake Forest University, seven, almost seven foot tall guy by the name of Tim Duncan showed up and I've been a San Antonio Spurs fan ever since. And that's my team. And I, I'm, I, you know, while I admire lots of the other teams in the, in the NBA, um, I'll be a Spurs fan forever. Uh, so much so that don't give me that Victor hype. Let me know when they got a real squad and, you know, they got a chance. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm going to enjoy watching the guy, you know, start to grow into whoever he's going to be. I had 38 points last night, his best game so far as a pro. Uh, And then I was listening to one uh, one of my favorite commentators on basketball talking about how, uh, KD had gotten past him on a play. And in most cases, if a guy got beat like that, you know, it's just a, it's a layup for Durant or, you know, stuff or whatever. Uh, And Wemby, because of his body and his just freakish, you know, size and athleticism was able to uh, get a little piece of the ball uh, while while Durant was shooting it, and you know, just I mean, it wasn't like he completely stuffed him, but he but he deflected the ball uh, that virtually nobody else on earth, or at least anybody else on earth that's good enough to be a professional basketball player, uh, would have been able to get to. And so, you know, that's that's I think important uh, for our listeners to keep in mind is that. You know, we, we, we love our Cardinals, and we, we only want any criticisms we levy, any complaints, you know, the agita that we feel is all comes from, you know, our desperate desire for them to, to get back to the World Series and win it. I mean, I, every year I think they're going to win the World Series. Uh, just like I assume the the fans of the White Sox and the Twins and the you know who the Angels for God's sakes you know teams that that you know haven't won it in a while and uh, or not at all in some cases. Uh, but one last thing I wanted to say, and then I want to let you uh, give some final thoughts before we get out of here. But uh, Juan Soto 
I don't know how much you've looked at his numbers from this year, but that guy is everything he was advertised to be. And unfortunately, he, his team failed him this year. His team was not good uh, or wasn't good enough for, despite all the talent on paper. But and I believe he's a free agent. Is it now or is it the end of next season? I believe it is next season because when they traded him last year, they were saying that he would have um, three postseason runs. Yeah. So last season would have been one. This season would have been two. So still next year, and then he'll be a free agent after next season. And I think it's I think it's very informative that he has not signed a long term you know extension or anything. Uh, I, I'd love to go after that guy. Um, but, uh, but I was just looking at some of the numbers from 23 and he had a, he had a a really good season. Um, and he's, he's a really good player. So we were right to try to go for it with him. And, uh, we just need to pick up a couple wins this time. And it's going to be really, uh, much more focused on the, I mean, we have needs in many areas, but generally speaking, our pitching needs far outweigh our offensive needs. And, you know, even if, even if they, you know, even if we got a thing that said, you know, Cardinals trade for bets and Soto or something crazy, which I would be more than happy to have both those guys on my team. Uh, I'm still going to be wondering who are the pitchers that are going to top our rotation in 2024. Yeah. Priority number one, for sure. Honestly, I don't even know how, how much or how many moves Mo will really need to be making as far as position players are concerned. It's truly going to be, all about pitching both starters in shaping this bullpen too, particularly after seeing this postseason, I think the bullpen is going to be even more important than maybe previously thought about, uh, you know, looking at like the Phillies bullpen, they had like what, three or four guys that were throwing 98 and above, um, and just really menacing guys out of the pen. And I think that's honestly, I think that's kind of bullpen that, you're going to need to have in the postseason. I mean, the Rangers weren't the best bullpen in the world by any means, particularly in the regular season. They had a good postseason for the most part. But, you know, LeClerc, who can get it up there. Chapman, of course, throwing over 100. Spores pitching well. I mean, they've got – they had a very good bullpen, and they were not even considered one of the best in the league. So – I think that's going to use a little bit of work, too. I know we'll talk about this later, too. I know we're connected with uh, a guy out of Japan already as well, uh, out of the out of the pen. So definitely some uh, links there and some work to do for Mo. I'm interested to see what will kind of happen there and um, what direction we go. I'm excited to see some rumors here and there uh, about that and, and get into that. Uh, with our thoughts and how we might do it, maybe hear uh, from everybody else how you might do it uh, as well. Um, 
as we close up this uh, episode and everything, too, uh, like we mentioned, we'll kind of get into uh, next episode what uh, we may be looking for as far as uh, players go, how to get those three starters uh, or two or however you want to build it. Uh, the postseason construction versus regular season construction, like we talked about, let us know what you what you think if uh, if you're listening and everything, and uh, we'd love to hear and get some some feedback on on what your thoughts are, how you might do it differently than what we kind of talked about. If there's anything you do agree with, let us know too, and um, love to start a little conversation um, and start a little community as well. Uh, just being able to to talk ball and everything as well. So uh, find us on uh, Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it, Broadway underscore Clark. Uh, you can find us on there. We'll be posting whenever we get a new episode posted and everything and up and live and ready to go. Uh, but we'd love to see some, some conversation and a little community started there. But uh, like Mark always mentions at the end, uh, any feedback is always welcome. We want to make this... Uh, the best experience for uh, for anybody who's listening, and and we want to hear what you want to hear, so um, so we can talk about things that are interesting, um, not only just to us, but are interesting to to everybody who would want to listen. So, um, Mark, you got any l- closing thoughts and everything too? No, I just want to uh, echo your comment there. Uh, thank the listeners. Invite them all back. I hope that they're starting to feel the same kind of excitement that we are uh, about the possibilities for 2024 for the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, as uh, you know, as we frequently state, uh, the name of our pod is Broadway and Clark because that is the intersection of the home of baseball, where the best of the best come to practice their craft and give us all the joy that that brings. And so uh, until next time, uh, this is Mark and that's Duncan. And I didn't know if you wanted me to jump in there. (laughs) I was kind of waiting, but hey, as you all can see, this is an unscripted pod. It's not all written out beforehand, uh, and it always goes longer than we expect. So, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll become more efficient, or maybe we'll just take a long, slow, lazy walk through our fandom. Uh, Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon.